Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. This was published in 2021. And full disclosure, we did receive an advanced reader copy for our review from Nick Allie. Should we just jump into the jacket or is there anything you yeah. want to talk about first? Jacket's fine. All right. As a third year PhD candidate, Olive Smith doesn't believe in lasting romantic relationships, but her best friend does, and that's what got her into this situation. Convincing Ann that Olive is dating and well on her way to a happily ever after was always going to take more than hand wavy Jedi mind tricks. Scientists require proof. So, like any self respecting biologist, Olive panics and kisses the first man she sees. That man is none other than Adam Carlson a young hotshot professor and well-known ass. Which is why Olive is positively floored when Stanford's reigning lab tyrant agrees to keep her charade a secret and be her fake boyfriend. But when a big science conference goes haywire, putting Olive's career on the Bunsen burner, Adam surprises her again with his unyielding support and even more unyielding six seconds. Suddenly their little experiment feels dangerously close to combustion. And Olives discovers that the only thing more complicated than a hypothesis on love is putting her own heart under the microscope. It is not an accurate book jacket, but I don't think it's a bad one. Yeah, I think Olive's issue is not that she doesn't believe in romantic relationships. Right. Olive's issue is that everyone she loves dies. So she <laughs> doesn't want to get close to people. I mean, that's one of the issues, yeah. <laughs> she also just doesn't, um, she never has really felt, I think, romantic love. Right, but it's not like not believing in it. Right, exactly. And so the reason that she kisses, the reason that she kisses Adam is because she was dating this one guy and her friend on kind of wants to go out with him, but because of you know, the sister, the code of sisterhood or whatever. She's like, I can't date your ex. And Olive's really like, no, I'm over him. I'm over him. And so to prove that she's over him, she says she's out on a date, but she's not actually out on a date. And she's in the lab. So when Ann shows up in the lab, she wants to make it look like she was in the lab for date reasons and literally just kisses the first man she sees. I mean, it's a total rom-com setup, and I absolutely loved it. It was so great. I really like the setup of this one, which sort of surprised me. Me too. Me too. I was really surprised at how into this book and this premise I was. I wasn't very into the book, but I was okay. pretty into the premise. All right. Well, as usual, we wrote our own summaries based on a random number. And for this episode, the number that we generated was 31. So I'll kick us off. The only thing worse than having to kiss a stranger to keep your friend from discovering you're not on a date is when it turns out you're not kissing a stranger. But a bump. <laughs> What's yours? Fake dating is complicated enough without a power imbalance and navigating being a woman in STEM. Maybe the complication is why they were so good at keeping their hands off each other. <laughs> So your main issue with this book is that there were they were too 
to fake dating? I think my main issue with this book was I saw the conflict coming from a mile away and was really hoping that wasn't going to be the conflict. Yeah. Combined with one of the things I want in fake dating, and maybe I'm too used to this from romance novels, is I want their banter to lead to kisses. I want to believe by the time they finally get to the moment in the bedroom, they're like desperate. And I totally didn't hear. Um, I I believe they were desperate. There was no kiss with tongue until they were having sex. I believed it. Yeah, I I didn't. I didn't get their chemistry. It just didn't work for me. I I was weird. I hate professor student stuff a lot. So do I. So I was really surprised that like I liked this setup and thought it was really cute. But I actually I know this because as Meg and I have mentioned, we usually read on Kindle. At about 40%, I was like, seriously, we're already almost halfway and this is all that's happened. (laughs) And then the next 30%, I felt like didn't move anything forward at all. So overall, I was a little let down by this one because I was surprised at how much I liked the setup and I thought it was super cute and I thought the characters were super consistent. But it ultimately just didn't do enough for me in the plot. Sure. So tropes, I think the main trope is... They are fake dating. They are in a fake relationship. Yeah, with a side dish of workplace romance. Yes, yes, side dish of workplace romance. I don't think I would put it into the trope category of professor-student. Agree. Because of the way Hazelwood navigated it, which is another reason why I think I could really enjoy the book as much as I did. I stand by workplace romance, though, because I agree. he's a supervisor, but not her supervisor. And essentially, office scuttlebutt and gossip is the first hurdle they have to overcome together. Oh, I don't disagree at all about the workplace romance. I yeah. 100% agree. So what are the other tropes other than sort of the main what is the plot trope? Well, there is a lot of competency porn. They are both into each other because they are each very good at what they do yes so i am always into that there's also an only one room at the in style trope yeah which is great because olive as a character is aware of this trope and terrified of it yes she's she's also aware of the whole fake dating trope and goes she's she is one of those people who the character felt very real she can get really lost in her own anxiety and like overthink things a lot and so she's like this is fake dating fake dating always leads to this and then this always happens and then and it's the fact that hazelwood went there i thought was great yeah agree so this is also a sunshine grump pairing so this, the stereotype surface level reminded me of the hating game. Me, I was going to say, it really felt like the hating game to me. There were a lot of things that made it feel like the hating game for me, which I, I actually added a note about it later, but we can talk about it sooner than that note. Sunshine Grump is just, I think, if we'd had the vocabulary for it, I don't think we did in our hating game episode. It's a workplace romance with a sunshine grump. Yep. And then the whole reason that the book starts is because of the quick, someone's coming, you better kiss me. 
Right. However, that's where the book starts. But their story starts with an even more adorable meet cute. Oh my god! Yes, it's. I loved that moment. Yes. Yeah. Do you love the moment? Did you also love the reveal of the moment? No. (laughs) I I didn't. I don't think I loved it, but I loved that she had it. Does that make sense? Like I needed, I needed the closure. So I don't, I think that if, if the reveal moment hadn't been there, I don't think I would have loved the initial moment as much. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. The, I think the other thing is that meet cute sets her up to be a manic pixie dream girl. Mm -hmm. And she really develops beyond that. Oh, which I thought was great. Yeah. Agreed. There is the, we talk a lot of in um, historicals about the oh my god pants moment. There's an oh my god dress moment in this book that I really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was really fun. And then you have keep the camera running trope. Okay, this is less romancy, but I think there are a lot of movies usually actually more than books where someone forgets to turn the camera off mm-hmm. and then a very significant moment is caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It happens. It does. I think that's a media trope writ large. Definitely. So, so yes, let's talk really quickly. It definitely reminded me of the hating game. There were a lot of things. So there's a single perspective. So it's not first yeah. person, but it's, it's all from Olive's perspective. So you never get Adam's perspective. Uh, it's sort of, it's the sunshine grump slash enemies to lovers. They don't, they're not enemies with each other, but he's sort of like the department, the, the enemy of all of the grad students. So like he's well known to be like the mean professor. Right, but they've never interacted. There was no personal animosity between them. Right. Uh, it is a workplace romance, as we already pointed out. There's all, I mean, the entire book, she doesn't realize he's into her, which happens in the hating game as well. Yep. And then I'm going to give it away. There's really only one sex scene, but it's really long. Hating game has more than one sex scene. But they're all together. No. Yeah. There's the elevator scene. Which yeah, is not but a sex a scene. Ki- there's a kiss. There's not a sex so scene. So there's a makeout on the elevators. There's a makeout in the parking lot. There's the makeout on his couch. Mm-hmm. There's the sex scene at the wedding. Yes. Then there's the sex scene when they get back to his apartment. I don't count that one because it was like nothing. All right. I'm, I just saying, it, it, I, I'm just saying it reminded me of that because I was I did not find the hating game like super like sexual to like they like made out and stuff and I was like that's nice. But then the sex scene really, to me, was like over the top and it was kind of a surprise to me how explicit it was. Okay. Same thing happened here, in my opinion. Interesting. I definitely would not have compared them in that way. Yes. They seemed very similar to me in that way. But that's my perspective. I mean, I think you could even throw in, though, the competency porn. You could, yes. They're both both of them are yeah. very good at their jobs, and the ways in which their jobs are similar is both a bonding experience and a conflict. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did. I was struck at how similar the two books were. 
And that's not a bad thing at all because I feel like the hating game is like the pinnacle of the contemporary rom-com. Yeah, I'm actually surprised I didn't like this more thinking of it that way. Yeah, maybe next time you read it, you'll be like, wait, this is the best book. (laughs) So, yeah, I was actually very nervous before I started reading this book. But I am not into student-teacher romances. I'm also not into power differentials in the relationship. I'm not into age gap, which was not really an issue here, although it was a little bit of what happened in their relationship. But I was pleasantly surprised with how Hazelwood dealt with all of those things. Yeah, I was surprised. And I think some of it, like, so he's 34 and she's 26. Mm -hmm. Which is less of a problem, except you realize the first time they met, she was 23 and he was 31. Right. I definitely felt like the power differential was the bigger conflict here than the age gap, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, because he's not only is he an established professor, he's like the best of the best. He's like a star academic. And she's fine. She's fine. She's not a bad scientist or anything like that, but she's only a third year doctoral student. She doesn't have very many publications. I mean, there's a huge power differential. And that's not even counting the fact that he's not her teacher, you know, like he's not her professor, but just the fact is he's like established in his field. She's an up and coming, you know, PhD student. She doesn't have her doctorate yet. Right. And I I think part of the reason and part of the things in this book that work so well for us is we kind of have an insight to academia and the PhD process and the fellowship process and the research process and all of that did feel incredibly authentic. Oh, it felt so real to me. So I'm, I do, we've talked about this before. I don't actually have my doctorate, but I'm like academia adjacent. And I was like, this all just felt very true to life to me. Even like the gossip about this person's rooming with this person at the conference, you know? Well, and I think what a small, incestuous world it can be, especially within a narrow discipline, like not just the gossip that goes on at the individual school, but like a lot of the experts in this book are specifically specifically wrapped up in pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And so obviously like the highest level pancreatic cancer researchers in the U.S. are all aware of each other. Right, right, yes. Yes. I mean, there was a part that was just really interesting, too, where she gets this career advice that was just really interesting because she's been trying to go it alone. And towards the end of the book, she gets some just some career advice. So her Adam doesn't help her specifically with her actual research or her actual career. But he's like, maybe you should try this. Um, And just it, it really illustrates how having a mentor, someone established in the field can help you out. And the ways that those interpersonal dynamics can hurt you. Yeah. Especially when, like, it's not a meritocracy. 
Yeah. Also, you know, you, if you don't have a mentor who's explaining how the world works for you, even if you're the best scientist, exactly, you know, you're the best at what you do if you aren't making the right connections. And I think the spoiler free, relatively spoiler way, way to, to describe it in the context of this book, if she is a mentor she really loves, who supports her science, who is very, very there for her, but who is going through a lot of personal situations with ill relatives, you don't see on the page, it's not relevant to the text, other than knowing she's sort of been distracted and made the decision she needs to retire. And so because this woman, while she's a wonderful mentor to Olive as a scientist, isn't helping her learn about navigating the space, like, politically, essentially. And that's really disadvantaging Olive. Yeah. All right. I, I think one of my favorite parts about the book was when they negotiated their fake relationship. So they have a chat. They talk yes. about how they're going to have this fake relationship. They both agree to go to continue with it. And one of the first things he does is that he clears the relationship with the dean's office. I was dying. It was so funny, so true to life. I was like, okay. And then I was like, okay, this is also why I like him. Because he's obviously like a rule follower. <laughs> and he's not going to want to take advantage of her. I love that. I also think the second he did that, she should have been like, there is more going on here. Well, I mean, yeah. She, yes. I mean, as, as the reader, it can be a little bit frustrating. And I felt this way in The Hating Game, too. So maybe that's also why I connected the two in my head. It can be very frustrating to read from a single perspective where you know what this other person is thinking, but the character through whose eyes you're reading is not realizing it. Yes. And it can be frustrating. It can be fun and it can be frustrating. And I, I think this, for me, this book was not frustrating enough to be annoying and fun enough to be not too frustrating. Fair enough. The book really tackles a lot. So it is a romance. It is about Adam and Olive and their relationship and how they get together. But because it feels so authentic, it covers like imposter syndrome. Uh, it covers women in STEM. It talks about, you know, the entire career, an academic career versus an industrial career. I don't know. It's just it, it tries to do a lot. I think it mostly succeeds in doing it. That said, it's it's more than just a workplace romance. You know? And that's sort of what my summary got at. The one thing I wish we had in this conversation is a perspective of someone who's not super attuned to the scientific academic world and how it's structured, even though neither of us have participated in it, we're super aware of those sort of networks. Right. I wonder how well that was explained to someone who has absolutely no background. Yeah, that would be Like, I wonder if that this stuff made sense if you don't I think it I think it was like she freaks out when she's a speaker and not just a poster presentation but I mean I wonder if there are people out there who would read this and be like what do they mean by poster yeah you know like I, I wonder how well this came across if you had no knowledge of the discipline yeah that I mean that's a very interesting question and it's it's something that we just can't answer yeah 
right? You so, can't... I guess disclaimer, we can't, like, we have a baseline level of knowledge. This is like The Bachelor when talking about the charm offensive earlier this week, like ultimately Meg's really up on the lingo and through osmosis, I am now also relatively up on the lingo. So I don't think we're the best people to comment on whether or not this was accessible. Yeah. To someone who has absolutely no knowledge of the scientific academic world. Yeah. So content warnings, I think they're very appropriate for what we just talked about. Yeah, uh, I would say there's nothing in this for me that I found offensive. I agree. I, I felt like everything was handled pretty well. That said, women in STEM, specifically women in color, of color in STEM, are at an extreme minority and disadvantage. There is a lot of casual sexual harassment, a lot of looking down on women, and all of that is present in the text. And there is pretty explicit sexual harassment on the page. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yes, there is, there is sexual harassment. There's no unwanted, there is unwanted touching, isn't there? So, yeah, they, I mean, there, it is, it goes pretty far. Yep. Again, it's, it doesn't extend to forced embraces of any kind. So I think if you're very sensitive to this, like be aware that's kind of where the line is drawn. It's a lot of talking and touching, but nothing else. Um, but it was pretty jarring to read. Like this is not a trigger warning that particularly affects me. So like I can usually read this stuff. And it felt very real. It it felt very real. I I think that's one of the things that the book does well is it gives you a world that feels very real. But that means that when this happens to Olive, it's it's and I think this is what you were referring to earlier is you you were thinking this might happen and you were hoping it wouldn't and I completely understand where you're coming from you know was was because you don't it's not something that you really want to read and and we've talked about this in a couple of other books where like yeah sometimes it is nice to read a book that's a little more fantasy and these things that we know happen in the real world aren't appearing in the text, you know? Yeah. And it, so I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. And I can't say I was disappointed or offended. Like I said, there was just a lot of conflict going on. Ultimately, what I, my actual criticism of this book is I wanted more real emotional connection between Olive and Adam. Yeah. And I think the fact that this book did such a good job explaining the world of academia for a woman down to this academic exploitation and sexual harassment, I was hoping that it wasn't going to go in this direction because I was hoping more of the relationship and plot was going to be built on their relationship. Right. And I saw this coming from a mile away and knew it was going to take up a lot of oxygen when it did. Right. It was done well. But maybe it just wasn't what I was in the mood to read. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's one of the things that can be difficult about a single perspective, like I was saying earlier, because we just get we just get Olive's take on their relationship and what's happening. 
And she's so in her head and so overthinks everything that you don't get, you're right, you don't get Abba's perspective on the relationship. You don't get a lot of the happy couple parts. And Adam, I think, is a very extreme level of reserved. Yeah. Even the ways in which he, with the exception of two things I can think of, her falling for him is very much her falling for how attentive he is to her. Yeah. Not her learning about him and truly falling for the person he is. Yes, I, yeah, I agree. Although, I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, though. Sure. <laughs> right? Oh, 100%. If some guy is going to treat me like I am his intellectual equal and be really nice to me, um, and I can tell he's nicer to me than everyone else, like, yeah, I'm kind of into that. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Is this book sexy? That one sex scene Meg mentioned was, like, incinerating. It's so hot. Guys, he takes off her socks and it didn't even bother me. I did not expect how hot this it was going to be. This book was so PG until that scene, and then it immediately became NC-17. Yeah. And this is where, like, just to compare it to the hating game, because we have, like, before they have sex, she is grinding on his erection. They are talking about the fact that sex is probably inevitable. Like, the elevator makeout left them both shaken. Like, they're feeling each other up in the car. She's telling him erotic dream stories before, like, it was sexy before there was sex. This was like they had two pecs and she rubbed sunscreen on him. And then there's like a two chapter sex scene where he goes down on her three times. Yes. It was out of nowhere and it was fantastic. Look, we're not going to complain about this sex scene because it was fucking um, hot. I have nothing. Um, obviously, sex after the conflict is resolved and everyone's on the same page is nice. It was a little bit secret goodbye sex. Did she know? Did yeah, she know? She's, the whole sex scene, she's like, we only have tonight. We only have tonight. Oh, okay. Oh, but it's, was it secret goodbye sex or was it like, this is, we have to get it out of our systems because we're fake dating? That's why it's unclear. Like, I think it's yeah. a little bit secret goodbye sex. And then she wakes up in the morning and realizes it's the day they agreed to break up. Right. And, but I think with the fact that she, like, what happened with his friend like, to her, it was goodbye sex. Because, like, the thing is, that scorchingly hot sex scene does happen before they are being dishonest with one. She is being dishonest with him about certain things. And he still hasn't come clean to her well, about his feelings. So, like, yeah. I just, I could have used even, like, a good makeout after they were on the same page. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely frustrating. And it falls into that fake dating trap where they both catch feelings, but they don't want to admit it because they each think the other one is just faking it. Plus, one of them learns something difficult about the other's personal life and doesn't want to force them to choose between a lasting part of their history and this fake relationship, even if it's very legitimate. Right. So it, look, this, is this book like super, super unique? I would say the setting is what sets it apart. Yes. And the way she handles the power differential between the, the characters, I think, is what sets this book apart. Because other oh than that... Oh, my God. Meg, we forgot she's a sad, tragic orphan. She, yeah, she's a sad, tragic orphan. This is very trophy. But it like is. Meg said, 
has an interesting perspective that I do think is unique. Yeah. So I, I want to be clear that, that what I'm saying is not a criticism of the book. So I think the way she handles these tropes is really fun. That said, they, they are the fake dating tropes where they decide to fake date for reasons and then they catch feelings, but then they don't want to admit it. It's, I mean, it, it is the fake dating arc. Yep. But I, I like enjoyed, dating, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed this book. I read it very quickly. I didn't want to put it down. I thought it was super fun. I'd say the only thing we haven't specifically called out for praise that I really want to, I loved her relationship with sex and relationships. Yes. I I thought yes. that was super well articulated. Like she's basically like, look, I don't, I'm not into very many people. I'm very into you. Yeah. And I thought that was a unique perspective. It wasn't something she'd really overthought. Yeah. For it was once. just sort of a fact of her existence. And I totally got it. And I really, I thought it was, that in and of itself was unique. Yes. Yeah. You know, I agree. I think this is the first book. So I feel like this week we're, we're reading like books that talk about the spectrum of sexuality. Right. And so Olive, I think this is the first book I've ever read. The first romance novel where anyone ever said, I think I'm demisexual. Right. But she doesn't use that term. No, she doesn't use that term, but you understand what that means. Right. And I, I am really enjoying the, this new diversity in sexuality and reading romances right now. So I'm, I think that's great. Totally on board with it. Really want to praise Allie Hazelwood, because I think she did a good job with that here. Absolutely. Anything else we need to cover? I don't think so. Um, yeah, check it out. The Love Hypothesis is a new book. And it's yeah, really recommend fun. it for sure. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet wherever you can find Podcasts.